0: on the other side was a production of the open stories foundation between july 19th and october 25th of 2018 it has since been taken offline by open stories but you can now find an archive of all 15 episodes on chrisway.com slash otos or on whatever podcast app you're listening to right now on the other side was a podcast project dedicated to discussing religious, post-religious, and religion-adjacent issues from a distinctly millennial perspective. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of On the Other Side, Millennials and Religion. I am your host for today, Chris Way, and I'm excited to uh, introduce you guys today to two special guests. They're working on a very exciting uh, new documentary film project. Uh, So without further ado, uh, I'd love to introduce you guys to Christina Smith and Spencer Allred. Say hi, guys. Hello. Hi. Hello. Um, Why don't uh, I have some notes here on some of the kind of biographical things that I think our listeners should know. But why don't you guys um, introduce yourselves? Uh, Let's start with you, Spencer. I don't actually know you. I know Christina a little bit. But uh, Spencer, what's your story? What's your background? And um, what kind of things have you been working on?
1: Yeah. um, So I'm a a filmmaker. I've been a filmmaker for about um, six years professionally. I I started out um, like any kid does. I, I made um claymation and you know stop motion like legos and and things like that um i work a lot in commercial work right now for for companies so i've worked on um some campaigns like for um poopery if oh yeah if you guys anybody out there has ever seen like those types of commercials so i've worked on uh, on a number of like comedic um things i think my true passion lies in more of uh, drama which um I haven't gotten to do as much of as I'd like, so um, this documentary is really kind of a chance for me to flex some of my dramatic muscles, I guess, if that's not too weird of a thing to say.
0: yeah. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So you've been working as a filmmaker professionally for six years. Did you study film before that?
1: I did, yeah. So I graduated um, from a university in Utah called uh, Utah Valley University. Um, I studied uh, digital media Um, with an emphasis, excuse me, with an emphasis in cinema productions. Cool. Um, but yeah, I just graduated, uh, back in 2015, um, and been, uh, working for myself and for a couple different companies ever
0: since. Awesome. Awesome. Welcome to the show. Thank Um, you. Christina, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I know you and I, we go way back. We've chatted about our own like faith journeys and things like that over Thai food and things. But uh, mm-hmm. tell our audience a little bit about uh, kind of who you are, what you do, uh, what your background is.
2: Yeah. So my name is Christina. I come from a journalism background. Um, I studied communications with an emphasis in journalism. Um, and I also studied visual arts as a minor. Um, I've had experience writing in newspaper and magazine and digital settings. I've also worked in a broadcast setting a little bit. Um, and some of the outlets that I've written for are actually associated with the LDS church. Um, and whenever I've worked with them, I've tried to cover topics like millennials and religion, um, women's issues, LGBTQ issues, et cetera.
0: Cool. Cool. And how long did you say you've been working as a journalist?
2: So let's see. Right now I'm working a job that's more related to marketing and PR. So I guess the time period that I've been in the communications field is maybe five plus years.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Welcome to the show. Um, We should let our listeners know what it is (laughs) that we're here to talk about. The documentary project that um, I brought you onto the show to talk about is called The Hushed Ones. Um, this is an upcoming documentary that you're working on together as a as a team. Um Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and just kind of like the brief rundown, uh, either one of you who wants to jump in of just what is it what's the topic or the subject that you're looking to tackle with the hushed ones?
2: Um yeah, so what we're looking at is issues of sexual abuse within the Mormon Church. Okay. Um, I assume that most listeners are familiar with the Mormon Church, um, since that's what a lot of your podcasts address. But yeah. um, we are comparing it to the scandals in the Catholic Church, and we're viewing the issues through the lens of someone named McKenna Denson, who has a legal case against the church right now. She's suing them for fraud with the claim that they knowingly put her abuser in a position of power. So she claims that she was raped at the MTC, which is called, or that stands for the Missionary Training Center, where um, people who go out to preach the Mormon religion in different states and countries um, learn a language there or just kind of train, get trained on the doctrine. So the president of that facility, um, she had an encounter with him. And so that's what her legal case is about right now.
0: Okay. So it's a, it's a look generally at the issue of sexual abuse in the church, but specifically at McKenna Denson and her story and how that, uh, yes. in, how that can be a lens through which to understand the problem generally. Is that, is that right?
2: Yeah. And Spencer, if you want to talk about protect LDS children a little bit.
1: Yeah, so the the documentary, in addition to um, viewing the issue through the lens of McKenna Denson, it also ties in a movement that's going on right now, um, not only in Utah, but also um, across the United States, uh, a movement called Protect LDS Children, which is basically, this was a movement that was started by um, Sam Young. Um, He is a former um, church bishop. Um, A bishop is kind of um, almost like a priest or a father would be in the Catholic church. His job is to kind of look over the congregation to kind of lead the congregation um, to um, instruct, uplift, um, edify the congregation. Um, And he was a former bishop who found out that uh, his daughters at one point had told him that he had or excuse me, that they had been asked sexually explicit questions in their interviews with their bishops. And that's something that happens in the Mormon church um, every so often for, for a minor, someone under the age of 18 or the youth in the church, they call them, is they'll meet with a bishop and the bishop will assess um, what they call their worthiness, which is basically, are they living by the commandments or the um, rules that the church has in place? For example, smoking, alcohol. Um, some of the more obvious ones like that. Also some things like the law of chastity, which is basically when, um, the, or the church will ask of its youth to abstain from sexual relationships, um, sexual um, situations, sex in general, um, until marriage. So one of the things that the church will ask um, of its youth is if they're living the law of chastity. And the and the law of chastity is basically... Um, no sexual relationships outside of marriage. So that'll include things like um, masturbation, um, pornography, um, I- any other of a myriad of, of sexual questions um, that, that could be um, thought of. These youth in the Mormon church are open to being asked. And so there really is no rule that the church has on what a bishop can ask there are general guidelines and rules set up. Um, they are supposed to ask, do you live the law of chastity? They're never asked to go into more explicit detail than that. Right. The bishops are, but a lot of these bishops will do that. I know for myself, I was asked um, a lot more sexually explicit questions. And so it's long story short, the goal of Protect LDS Children is to eliminate these sexually explicit questions that these bishops are asking and to also eliminate the fact that these children are meeting with these church leaders behind closed doors one-on-one. Right. Okay. And so the document, oh, i sorry, go
0: ahead. Uh, well, I was going to say, it sounds like the documentary is going to look then at kind of two different stories, both of which it sounds like are ongoing uh, could change at any moment, right? You know the Sam Young stuff is ongoing. We know that just two days ago he was uh, facing like a disciplinary council, potentially being excommunicated, and uh, the, of course the McKenna Denson story is ongoing as well. So you're looking at those both of those two stories as kind of a, as kind of lenses through which to understand the issue of sexual abuse or misbehavior, misconduct in the LDS Church. Does that sound right?
1: Yeah, yeah, I th- I think so, and and. Some people might think that they sound maybe um, re- unrelated or they are two kind of different stories. And the way they kind of tie in, I guess, to each other is the fact that they're both, in essence, a part of the Me Too movement. Um, one of the, the uh, things that protect LDS children, this organization that's trying to eliminate these questions and these one-on-one interviews, is trying to do is they're, they're trying to stop sexual shaming that can happen from these interviews. Right. Um, They're also trying to stop grooming behaviors that can happen as a result of accepting these um, interviews as normal grooming, meaning kind of setting it up or teaching children that it's okay to talk about sex and sexuality with a person behind these closed doors, um, a person one on one, a person who maybe has no right to know about their sexuality or about their sex life, right, and so that's how these two kind of seemingly, uh, perhaps seemingly unrelated um, aspects kind of connect. I guess.
0: Yeah, it sounds like they're both they're both related directly to this uh, these structures of power, right, of ecclesiastical power that we give to authorities in the LDS church who, you know, in most cases don't abuse that power. You know, luckily uh, there are a lot of good bishops, a lot of good mission presidents. My mission presidents were great, at least with me, uh, as far as I know, they were great with others. And uh, a lot of times this authority that we give these men is not abused, but because of the nature of the authority and the structures around that authority, it can be abused. And it sounds like that's one of the main things linking these two stories is that they're both uh, relevant ways to dissect what can be changed structurally, systemically, to prevent further abuses from these from these men in these positions, right?
2: And can I just add something? Real Absolutely. Quick? So McKenna has disclosed specifically that she feels like Bishop's interviews groomed her for the experience that she had with rape. Oh wow! So. Yeah, I know Spencer is saying it might seem seemingly disparate to some people, these two topics, but um, the central character in our documentary has made a direct connection to those. And I think like you were saying, Chris, there are a lot of great um, leaders out there, but the amount of input that we've gotten from people since we started this project shows that these experiences are not anomalies. Right. I know a lot of members will say, "Oh, well, it didn't happen to me, so it's not valid." (laughs) But we've had a lot of input from people messaging us on social media, emailing, talking to us in person, and saying, "Me too. Yeah, this happened to me too."
0: And the truth is that even just one is too many, right? Like, I mean, exactly. I I, I think uh, I'm not trying to dismiss the the numbers you're bringing up and the you know the multitude of the the gravity of the problem is obviously exacerbated by the fact that this happens to countless, countless people and uh, it's overwhelming and it's uh, terrifying in, in ways. But even if it were just to happen to one child or to one missionary, uh, that would be enough. I think um, to to have yeah. this story worth telling, worth digging into, to have these structures of power worth um, you know, dismantling in some ways, or, or at least interrogating uh, in a way that that can be productive, that can be, that can protect further abuse, you know, fr- protect future victims from being, from being abused. Sorry, I cut you off. Spencer, what were you going to say? No,
1: you're good. Oh, sorry. Oh, No, 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 you, you're totally fine. I just wanted to add on the caveat um, of Christina, of what you said, just, just to make sure that we're, we were hundred percent clear. Uh, the, the way McKenna had phrased it was in regards to when, when she was, um, she got baptized when she was a teenager. Okay. <clears throat> um, so she was a convert to the, uh, the Mormon church. When she was interviewed um, by her ward mission leader, which is basically somebody in the church whose um, job it is to help the missionaries out, the missionaries that are in charge of a local congregation, Um, their kind of uh, job is to help them out. This ward mission leader, um, he interviewed her for baptism. And what she says is that one of his questions he asked in the interview was, did you enjoy it? when your stepfather molested you when you were a kid oh wow um, and so that was one of the questions he asked um, and 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 similar questions we've heard uh, be asked of adult survivors of bishops interviews um, they've they've expressed to us or to protect LDS children they've told their stories of of similar questions being asked to them how much they enjoyed their abuse or their molestation or whatever it was that was happening to them. And so that was kind of, uh, I just wanted to maybe put it in context a little bit that, that she wasn't um, necessarily, and feel free to take out any of what I'm saying, but she wasn't necessarily saying bishops interviews specifically. Right. Um, She was saying um, interviews in in general and sorry to Christina to, to thwart you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You're good. No, and I do recall her saying that. The whole concept of going behind closed doors with a man who is in charge of your exaltation, essentially. Maybe that's too dramatic of a way to put it, but feeling that responsibility to answer whatever they ask, whether it's a bishop or a ward mission leader or whoever. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so that's um, that's a good primer you guys have given us uh, to understand what the project is about, what the documentary is hoping to dig into, and the ways in which these two specific cases are uh, connected to each other and to the larger systemic problem. I would love to, just for a minute or two, take a step back and just talk about how um, how you guys specifically as individuals, as, as uh, journalists, filmmakers, uh, got interested in this in this project in this topic um so if you would feel comfortable to to whatever degree you feel comfortable to whatever degree of detail um could you tell us a little bit about kind of your background with religion spirituality maybe mormonism specifically or just kind of like what your um thoughts are that led you to this point where you uh you know met each other and decided to do this project or were made aware of these issues and decided that this documentary was what you needed to do. Um, Maybe let's start with Christina. Would you like to kind of tell your like a brief or however brief you would like it to be a version of your spiritual journey or story?
2: Sure. Yeah, it'll definitely need to be brief because it was a long process. (laughs) Um, So essentially for me, I used to be LDS. I ended up I stopped believing in God before I even started looking into all the church history with Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, et cetera. Um, for me, what got me was um, the notion that most religions are patriarchal constructs. It just seems so odd to me that, um, sorry, my cat's trying to get to the
1: mic. <laughs> Your cat has something to say. Know,
2: stop
1: it. <laughs> Be professional, Christina. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, so anyway, I was just talking about the patriarchal constructs. Um, I tried reading a ton about Mormon feminists, their books, um, like Nyland McBain, even Sherry Dew. Um, I tried everything I could to kind of mitigate the dissonance that I was feeling, but ultimately it seemed to me like it was too much of a coincidence geographically that I stuck with the Christian religion that I did, that my parents um, raised me in. And it just, it seemed too coincidental to be true. Mm. <laughs> um, and then after that, I looked into church history and saw a lot there as well. Um, in regards to bishops' interviews and sexuality and women's issues, um, I definitely was not okay with those either. I've personally had experiences where um, bishops have said, have said things to me that I'm uncomfortable with and um, and have asked me questions that are way too far so that's kind of a background of my religious perspective and experience um as far as how i got involved with this spencer can talk about that more because he approached me with a project um yeah
1: yeah um i i i also uh i was raised and the, uh, the Mormon church, um, have a family that is Mormon, um, parents still Mormon. Um, some of my family members, siblings are still Mormon. Um, I, I no longer, uh, consider myself a member of the, um, church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, it's, it's definitely been a gradual thing, um, with me as well. Like Christina said, um, as of right now, I, I, I still have a belief in, in, in God. Um, I sometimes attend a Christian, another Christian church with my wife. Um, as far as the way the documentary, um, came about, uh, it was actually really interesting. I, I, I love documentaries. Um, I, I love a good story and, and, and maybe I should preface this all by saying as well that this is, none of this is make it meant to make it seem like this is just to have a story to tell. Um, but I, I, I love a good story. I love when a story is told right, when a, when a story is told in such a compelling way, uh, when a story can help you to feel something, whether that's anger, whether that's sadness, whether that's scared, um, what have you. I think that's one of the reasons that I think podcasts are so great is they do. They're able to do such a great job of of telling stories. Um and so I knew that I wanted to create a documentary. I've only ever created a short documentary film in the past. I've worked on uh, a few movies in the past, but never a documentary, more narrative, um, traditional movies. Um, I actually come from a horror background. Oh wow! <laughs> so I, I really like horror. I, I, I've worked on several horror films, um, but I really wanted to do a documentary. And um, documentaries like... The Keepers or um, The Jinx were kind of these documentaries that really stood out in my mind as kind of pinnacles of of storytelling. Um, And so I knew I wanted to tell a story. I I didn't know at that point what I was passionate about. Um, But my wife, who is a uh, feminist, uh, avid, staunch, vocal feminist, um, said or kind of reminded me of the story of this woman who back in March of 2018, before we even knew her name, before she had gone public, had come out and accused her missionary training center president of, uh, raping her and, um, sexual abuse, um, in the context of a religious sense is something that, um, is somewhat near to me in my life and, and something I've, I've been around a little bit. And so, uh, it was something that I was really interested in, and it's definitely kind of one of these David and Goliath type stories in the sense that it's here's this individual, this person who's taking on not just a church but a multi billion dollar organization and business right. um, yeah, who's facing down this um this organization that according to documents and such that have been released even within the past little while show that has a long, they have a long history of offering money to victims of sexual abuse and exchange for signing a non-disclosure agreement so that they can't speak with mm-hmm. it. And that's something to me that really sticks out. I mean, I was at the risk of sounding like a sob story. I was bullied in high school and I was, you know, I've always had this, as, as I'm sure everyone does, had this love-hate relationship with, with authority and um, just kind of hearing and learning more about the story of this individual versus this conglomerate, this huge organization, was something that was really um, compelling to me. So that was McKenna. McKenna Denson's story was definitely the first thing that appealed to me. I, I, I knew of Protect LDS Children and their movement, um, I wasn't planning on including them at that point. Um, and so Christina and I, I knew Christina because we both did photography. And so I had asked her a few years ago if she wanted to do some photos together. Um, and we kind of discussed at that point and kind of touched base since then on working on something journalistically together because I love documentaries and she's a <laughs> journalist and I'm like, Hey, um, but yeah, so when when this idea kind of came about is when I, I reached out um, to you, Christina, and asked you if it was something that you'd like to be a part of.
2: Yeah, and I remember when you first asked me, I didn't have to think about it at all. <laughs> I was just immediately on board. Um, I've always wanted to work on a documentary of some sort, and I think this is the absolute perfect place to start, something that's so close to home on a personal level and something that I really hope that we can do justice. It's a really big issue, yeah. um, but hopefully we can at least cover it in a way that survivors are comfortable with and that can raise awareness.
0: Cool. Yeah. Hopefully I, um, so let's talk a little bit about that, those kind of early stages. So, um, Spencer, you reached out to Christina, you guys, you know, Christina, you immediately agreed. And then what was the next step? Like, what, what did you guys, did you reach out to, McKenna and like how I don't know how how did the early stages of of planning this project go
2: we started interviewing a lot of people actually and interview reaching out to a lot of people um and I think pretty early on Spencer mentioned McKenna's story and hoping that that could be the central theme um and so I think it was pretty early on that we tried contacting her and finally hooked her (laughs) but um yeah I don't know if you want to go from there Spencer
1: yeah, it was it was kind of one of these things where because McKenna's story was so compelling, just in its just in the nature of the story itself. I mean, I haven't spoken with anybody who's I've been like, do you remember that woman who accused her MTC president of being raped? And I haven't had anybody who's been like, nah, that story is not important. You know what I mean? Or any <clears throat> or anything like that. Like it's 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 definitely something that's really. Um, a visceral and kind of a gut reaction that a lot of people have because it involves somebody who's in this position of power, uh, spiritual power, um, abusing this power. Um, and so it it was something that I, that I knew as soon as, as soon as, you know, we kind of thought of McKenna's story that we wanted to do. And we kind of proceeded it as if it was McKenna, story the documentary was before we had even spoken (laughs) with her um and so we're like oh shoot we should probably find out if mckenna actually wants to be part of this and christina you were able to track down some contact information from her Mm -hmm. Uh, and then we called her and we were super nervous and we were christina and i were together in a room and we call her and we kind of pitched the idea to her and she it was surprising by how quickly and easily she was on board with it. We kind of had to be like, now McKenna, you know, this'll, this'll, uh, eat up a portion of your life. You like, you know, we'll be intruding into your life. Like we were trying to unconvince her of doing it (laughs) (laughs) because, because she was so readily wanting to do it. And that's the kind of person that she is, is. She wants to be a part of anything and everything that will, shed light on this issue that she's unfortunately yeah, she's incredibly
0: brave i'm mean, this might be jumping ahead a little bit uh so we might come back to this but um, i mean just recently the that uh thing she did where she went to the congregation of the of joseph bishop the man you know who had raped her in in the 80s and she like spoke in their fast and testimony meeting in the in, you know impromptu at the pulpit and warned the congregation you know you have someone in your congregation who is dangerous and that just I watched that video that leaked of that and it just it's she's not afraid she is not afraid of anything she's not afraid of uh, of letting this um, this trauma be a part of her life if it means protecting other people from having to go through the same trauma which I think is very uh, honorable of her to continue to use her voice and her platform and her ability to speak truth to power to, you know, it's just, yeah she's incredible. So I'm not surprised that she immediately jumped on board with this project. That's, that must've been an interesting conversation.
2: Yeah, she is super brave and by no means do victims have the obligation to teach people about their experiences or to disclose their experiences or to become this poster child for it. So I uh, it McKenna is just so incredibly brave that she has chosen to be that vocal and open about her experiences to try to help other people because she doesn't have to do yeah. that. So it's she's just incredible. It's a
0: lot of emotional labor for sure. Um yeah. so you reached out to McKenna what are some other things you guys uh, ran into in the early stages of putting this project together? Was there anything maybe that surprised you or that went differently than you'd anticipated any anything um Anything kind of interesting in the first kind of first st- st- stages of putting putting the documentary uh, in place?
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess like I mentioned earlier, there is an overwhelming amount of people who have reached out to us and shared their stories. There are so many more than we even mm-hmm. realized. Um, but I, yeah, I think like we knew that this was a large issue. But I guess what was more surprising for me is. Active members' responses sometimes and saying, I hope you handle this right, or I hope this project isn't too anti. Um, And we really hope that we can have a project that, in the end, both active Mormons and inactive Mormons, and ex Mormons and non Mormons, and everybody can take something away from. Um, But it's just really interesting being in this place where there's a certain audience that's expecting you to kind of – they have this pushback, this kind of restraint. And that's just bewildering to me when it's stories of abuse. Yeah. I, it's just this whole PR issue for the church. Anyway, I won't go into that okay. too much. But that's that's what, what's been kind of surprising to me is people's reaction and trying to silence the wow. victims.
0: So there's a hesitance among some members of the audience to – let you or to, to trust you to tell this story in a way that would be fair to the institution.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Protecting the institution more wow. than individuals.
0: Yeah. That is interesting. Um, let's talk a little bit about like the style of the documentary. I looked at the, you know, there's a Kickstarter page cause you guys are raising funds to, to get this kind of off the ground. And there's a trailer, you know, like a video that you made, um, to show, kind of what you're putting together and i was struck by it i thought it was interesting i I watch i'm a big fan also spencer of documentaries i've watched a bunch of them and and i'm always interested in kind of the mode that certain filmmakers take there are some filmmakers that really try to be really detached or quote-unquote objective you know um more like observational or cinema verite style where they're hoping to be invisible where it's not their voice it's not their um, they're not overwhelming the viewer with like who they are or what they sound like. Uh, but then there's on the other end of the spectrum, there's, you know, filmmakers like Herzog, who, you know, you can hear his voice. You can literally hear him and his accent and, you know, his
1: right, his philosophical right. musings. And sometimes to the point of being like, hey, 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 <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, let
0: him speak. <laughs> like, he's, he's very, uh, unabashed of, of presenting himself yeah or you know like Errol Morris being yeah. a really confrontational kind of yelling from the back of the room this interesting like far away shout you know Um, and I was just curious uh, watching oh, right. your video like um, do, are you guys more pulled or inclined towards one end or the other of the spectrum to what extent do you think you want your voice both literal voices or or your figurative voice you know artistic voice to, to permeate throughout the film do you want it to be just focused on what the subjects are saying, or do you have something to say, like as individuals, as artists, that you want to kind of imbue the project with?
1: Yeah, that you know, that's a really interesting question. I, I wanted to ask you one really quick though. Do you have a favorite film by uh, Morris or, oh, or I'm, I'm actually
0: like really um, not as familiar with Morris as I would like to be, but I recently saw The Fog of War, and it just blew my mind. It's the one about um, like Mac, McNamara, yeah. um, and. I haven't seen yeah, that. Yeah, one. It's, it's yeah, yeah. two thousand three. Um it's, it's just like really fascinating. But like I said, like you can hear when he's interviewing McNamara, you can hear Errol Morris every now and then kind of like breaking the illusion of this like immersive interview experience by just shouting from the back of the room like, But you right. killed all those people. And right. you just hear this like kind of this whine. This yeah, <laughs> it's really interesting. But yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: Which I think which I think has its place. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I, I think I think it, there's something to be said when it starts changing facts, or it starts. Um, uh, yeah, what am I trying to say? When it when it starts influencing, um, facts or, or or thoughts or something like that. I think it's a. I, I think it does have its place, though, and I think yeah, it can. Yeah, there's absolutely way. a
0: difference between um, documentary filmmakers that have a voice versus documentary filmmakers that don't let their subjects have a voice. I think that's a good distinction to make
1: absolutely absolutely yeah and i think i think most documentarians do a pretty good job um i definitely think there are different styles like you just said it's something christina and i have actually talked about quite a bit and uh, christina will attest it's something that stresses me out to no end um how much of uh, of a voice or an influence um i or we can have in the documentary um even just from the feedback we've gotten so far that Christina just touched on is, is a lot of people feel, feel very right. strongly that we need to not be anti. And so we know in order to be able to reach people who are still believing active members of the church and and the church does many wonderful things, but to reach those people, we also have to present it in such a way that it is palatable for those types of people, not at the expense of, hiding or candy coating or sugar coating facts. Um, but being able to be respected by the audience as filmmakers and as storytellers is super important. Um, I would say maybe I fall somewhere in the middle. Um, I don't want you hearing my voice, um, or our voices throughout the whole thing, maybe there'll be like one or two moments, you know, in documentaries sometimes where they answer a question, they finish, and then you can kind of hear distantly the filmmaker saying, well, why do you think that is, you know what I mean? And then they have like a little subtitle on screen because they're hard to hear because they're not mic'd or something. And I I have no problem with stuff like that. I think that, yeah, there does come a certain point when, when their influence does become too strong maybe, but I don't, you're interested in this story for a reason as a documentarian. And and so you obviously have at least some sort of point of view or opinion on it. Um, not hiding our point of view is that sexual assault yeah. is bad. Um, and so we want to expose sexual assault. I think the question here that we're trying to prove is, does the Mormon church in certain situations knowingly protect sexual predators? And put them in positions of power and allow situations to ensue when sexual assault could be a potential outcome. And that's, I think, on us to prove in this documentary and to present that case.
0: Yeah, that does. Yeah. It sounds like you have a really tricky uh, task in front of you to to present that case in a way that's balanced. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And and I've found, you know, I've had a lot of long conversations with friends and family about about um, the way in which we talk about politics and religion, often when we talk about what we call systemic issues, right? These, these issues that are part of the system that are baked into the way that the system works. Often, um, maybe more orthodox or conservative or uh, institutionally faithful uh, people will push back on that kind of language because um, a, a an enunciation of a systemic problem sounds like an accusation, or it sounds like um, some kind of harsh indictment of of good people as if they are bad people. When really, what a systemic issue what what the what the spelling out of a systemic issue means is just that there is something wrong with the with the process. And that um, bad people are allowed to do bad things. It's not that every person involved in the process is bad, and that's a really hard nuance to suss out when telling a story, when doing journalistic work, documentarian work, uh, when even just when ch- chatting with people. So, yeah, I feel for you. That's a that's a tricky balance to to have enough subjectivity where you're acknowledging that you are human beings with a point of view, but to to be objective or or uh, balanced enough where you're not uh, painting some you know broad brush um picture of something that that will make people feel unheard or unfairly vilified right
1: absolutely absolutely and i think i think there's also facts are so important in in journalistic work and you have to be able to present evidence and facts with a lot of things like this though sometimes there isn't facts to support things sometimes there isn't facts to support someone saying Hey, I was raped. Hey, I was sexually assaulted by this individual and nobody did anything about it. People who should have been helping didn't do anything about it. Sometimes there is no facts because it was 20, 30 years ago. Now, we know from statistics and everything that over 90% of people who come forward saying they were assaulted or abused are telling the truth. And so that leaves a small margin of error for those who are not telling the truth. And so we know that it's always better to believe a victim or a survivor when they come forward. And so even even if there aren't facts, not that we're saying this whole documentary is just like, everybody's just kind of spouting Mm -hmm. off stories and opinion, but even when there aren't facts, it's super important that we, that we give the benefit of the doubt. And we believe survivors are these people who are coming forward because time and, and, Studies, science itself, uh, or math itself has has testified that s- most survivors right. are telling the truth.
2: And several of our interviewees so far, when we've asked them um, what we should take away as like being on the other end of hearing their stories as survivors and how to interact with survivors in the future, um, the biggest piece of advice we hear is to say, "I believe you." Um, because it can feel so disorienting when you're a victim of abuse and you have probably been gaslighted and don't know which way is up and might be doubting your own experience. And then when someone approaches you really skeptically about what you experienced, that just like triggers things all over again. So anyway, I just wanted to no, That's perfect. That
0: yeah. Comment. I, uh, Christina, what you just said, um, it kind of ties into my next question i was going to ask you guys what sort of uh psychological or emotional response um you're aiming to to get out of your audience you know with the stylistic or or structural choices that you're making with this film like do you want people walking away from this film feeling like they've just been immersed in some kind of disturbing exercise or that they've you know? experienced a twisting story there's plenty of other documentaries that do that sort of thing or is it more it sounds like from what you just said christina that it's more of like you want people to walk away from this believing their sister or their niece or their aunt or their mother who says that something similar happened to them you know or their brother or their nephew or whoever like you want to chip away or dismantle um the the culture of gaslighting and of ignoring and dismissing victims' stories um, by introducing audiences firsthand to some of these victims' stories and to to help them understand that these stories are real, they are credible, they are things that deserve to be believed and confronted. Does that sound like kind of the emotional space you're trying to build, or is there something more or less than that you want to say?
2: Yeah. I, yeah, as far as what kind of response we're trying to elicit, I, I don't intend to be manipulative in any way. I think our goal is to just let survivors be heard and to let viewers do what they will with the information that they have access to now. Um, I think what we can speak to as far as outcomes um, are things that McKenna is doing. So McKenna has her legal case against the church. Um, She hopes that she can win that trial. And I know a lot of other people support that. um, And that could set a precedent for future cases that are similar. Um, Also, Sam Young, he is very vocal about the outcome that he wants is changed policy. So like Chris, you were talking about systemic oppression earlier. Um, Part of the system of the LDS church is policy and practice. And um, LDS church members like to make a distinction between doctrine and policy or practice. And I really hope that one way we can get through to active LDS members in our audience is to remind them that policies can be changed from the Orthodox Mormon point of view doctrinally. So yeah, anyway, sorry, I had a diversion there. But Sam Young's goal is to have no one-on-one interviews ever and no sexually explicit questions ever. So his outcome and McKenna's outcome, those things that are hoped for are um, yeah. factors, I guess.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and, and I, I agree with Christina 100%. Um, it, it definitely is a tricky line and saying what we hope the outcome will be because we, we do have to maintain, um, like we talked about earlier, a little bit of that um, neutral Territory, while still believing survivors and everything, we also still have to come from a standpoint of, well, we have to show other people why this is or is not true. And we have to show other people that this is or this isn't actually happening. Um, Because we know from sad fact that a lot of people in the world still aren't likely to say, I believe you when someone comes forward. Or something like that and so it's up to us it's our job then to go in and explore facts to um, make determinations based on those facts of what to pursue next and and what route to go and then to present those in and in, in 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 a way that we've concluded or a light that we've our conclusion that we've come to to kind of present those and hopefully other people will be able to come to the same conclusion as us um, based on those facts um, I think that the documentary as far as like a feeling is, I mean, it's, it's part tragedy. It's part, you know, drama, part mystery. I mean, there's a big mystery at the center of it. It's, it's part biopic, historical biopic. Um, it's part, um, uplifting film i i think it kind of treads like a lot of different genres here and and the emotions or the feelings that we're trying to convey or that yeah come across. and hopefully. you know
0: as you're listing off those potential genres um with which we could describe the end product i'm i'm i mean we have to acknowledge that, that uh, a lot of it depends on just what happens next right <laughs> like this is uh this is a live story right. this is a story that's still ongoing um and you know that's that's classic documentary filmmaking one of the challenges and and you know pleasures of documentary filmmaking is, is kind of an unpredictability of what might happen you don't get to script it beforehand like a narrative film um you pick a subject and you dive into it and you see where it takes you and so there's a sense in which the story could end in a variety of different ways i think maybe the three of us probably have similar predictions on uh, how the institution will respond to Sam Young to McKenna Denson you know uh, we've seen stories like this play out uh, often with kind of pessimistic endings and so it's very likely at least maybe I'm speaking just for myself there but I think it's likely that this story will end uh, as a downer Um, but there's other endings that are possible right you know what are some uh, are there any kind of like different endings to this story that you've seen pop up as possibilities in on, on the horizon that you didn't anticipate seeing or what, what are some of the ways you think this this could go
2: i mean it's a long timeline as far as mckenna's court case yeah. um that could take a while um but i mean as far as outcomes overall i think that we hope that it will breed awareness and kind of I mean, the Mormon Me Too movement is already happening, but we hope to help expand that and to just kind of let it blow up, um, so that LDS church members realize that it's not just the Catholic Church that deals with these issues. It's a big problem in the Mormon Church as well.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like the maybe the best case scenario we could hope for is is that this as as the curtains come up and you know this. Uh, the lights turn on and this movie is over. There's, there's a sense in which um, everyone feels like the me too movement in Mormonism is accelerating at least. And obviously it, it may yeah. not be solved. Yeah. It may not be concluded, but a stamp on yeah. it. Um, patriarchy is over, <laughs> um, but accelerated or at least uh, brought, you know, awareness brought to larger audiences or, or large groups of people.
1: Yeah. I think, I think either way, and and this is horrible because if, if it if it goes badly, if, if, if it doesn't turn out the way McKenna or her attorney hopes, that's awful. I think there is a win coming out of that in that sometimes when there is an awful ending to something or when it seems like there's an awful ending to something, that can almost be more um uh, enraging or uh, motivating for people to learn more about a topic or to take action yeah. in regards like Trump to election. something. So, uh, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, 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 Christina. <laughs> hey, that's a good example
0: because yeah, that, I mean, that um, moment but- in our political history did um, make a lot of people feel devastated, but it made a lot of other people feel motivated to step up and to do things and to put things together. Right. So yeah, I think that's a fair metaphor for sure.
1: Yeah. 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 I, I, yeah, I guess I would just say that like, yeah, it, it, it has the potential of being, um, a win-win for survivors. Um, it would definitely be hard there'd be, there'd be cons, huge cons, obviously, if there was a certain outcome of, of if McKenna lost or, you know, if Sam Young is excommunicated because the, because the church is not okay with how he's been speaking out. Obviously that, that seems like a defeat. I think hopefully there is also a winning side to losing and that lots of times people watching that will go and, they'll feel more right. invigorated to do something because of that negative.
0: Yeah, outcome. that's um, that's kind of a bitter cup as far as silver linings go. <laughs> I mean, I, I and I've talked about, my audience is probably rolling their eyes. I've talked about excommunication a lot on um, <laughs> previous episodes, but excommunication is really hard for me. And if Sam Young were to be excommunicated, I think you're right. I think there's a sense in which that could be, A motivating story for a lot of people who have been following uh, the Protect LDS Children campaign who uh, hoped for a different ending and who were disappointed. I think that disappointment could catalyze something positive, something productive. Uh, um, And I think in my life, I've seen uh, excommunications of people that I cared about or people whose work uh, was motivating and inspiring to me, uh, who I felt their dismissal was like the church dismissing me, and you know that that disappointment, that uh, feeling of dismissal, definitely motivated something. And I, I hope um, ultimately it's productive. Um, but I think you're right. I think there's there's good there's flowers that can be planted in that dirt, but it is uh, it is dirty at first, right?
3: Yeah.
1: Right.
0: Um. Yeah, so. Absolutely. Let's talk big picture. I mean, we've kind of touched on this, but the last the last question I had written down. Again, we've um, we've touched on the effect that that you hope this um, project will have on the world. Um, can we talk a little bit about audience? I, I know a, a few minutes ago or several minutes ago, you talked about how there's a variety of audiences that you hope this. Um, documentary will reach. Is there like one key sub audience that you're really aiming for? Or is this, are you trying to make this as broadly accessible as possible? Tell us a little bit about that decision. What, what are you hoping to accomplish in a kind of a large scale and who are you hoping to reach and, and accomplish that with?
2: I guess at least from my perspective, two audiences that I would definitely want to get through to are people who know nothing about the church or who, you know, who have never been members don't realize this is an issue, um, to kind of activate them and also active members. Because if we only have ex-Mormons or inactive Mormons supporting this, it'll just be an echo chamber and that, that would be awful. So I guess those other two are big ones for me. I don't know about you, Spencer.
1: No, I absolutely agree with you. And I think that's why we we even think it's important to listen to what people who are members, active believing members right now are saying to us, because it's important to us that somebody who's a part of this organization knows what's happening within their organization. And we have to be able to communicate with them in a way that they'll listen, hopefully. Um, I think one of the, uh, in addition to that, one of the things that was so great about something like, the keepers is that it wasn't just for people who were Catholic or religious. It was a, it was a story that had something for, for everyone. And it was, it was, it, it told a very compelling story. It, it shed light on facts. It um, was heartbreaking. It was a mystery. It, 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 regardless of a way a person came into that, it was able to engage them and, and, and keep them around for the most important aspect of it of shedding light on sexual abuse and even murder. Um, and so I think that we know that the Catholic church has had problems with sexual assault. We know that Hollywood has big problems with sexual assault. The Mormon church is it any surprise that the Mormon church has problems, big problems with sexual assault happening within its walls. No, but not a lot of people, I don't think, think about it. And so I think, it's an example of one more, maybe what I'm trying to say is that like repetition is effective and the more ways that we learn that this is a problem, the better it is. And so I think in that regards, it's a documentary for everyone, not just people in the church or who used to be members of the church. Does that make sense, Christina?
2: I completely (laughs) agree. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry we didn't have a really pointed answer to your question. So you're like, what's your audience? We're like every Everybody. human
0: being. I think that's a perfect answer. And I, uh, I mean, I, if I were making this documentary, I would, I would have a similar answer. I think, and this is my bias as a film buff. Obviously, I'm studying film right now. I think uh, every human should watch every movie, <laughs> and every
3: person should
0: experience I every know you story. That. You
3: work <laughs> yeah. And <you> know <laughs> so I
0: think, so I think there's a sense in which, you know, if a story deserves to be told and it deserves to be heard by everyone, but I, I really like um, the way you guys kind of broke that down as far as subcategories, because it does seem like one of your main audiences or sub audiences that, that may be um, difficult, but vital in, in getting this to make a difference in the world is, is active, believing, Orthodox, uh, members of the LDS church, people who maybe would be like you mentioned earlier, uh, resistant, you know, to, um, a project like this who might, who might feel defensive, who might feel like this is, you know, anti, um, anti Mormon or anti LDS in some way. Um, and I think if you can get people in that situation to understand the systemic issue in the Mormon church, which like you said, Christina is an issue, even with all the doctrine intact, like it's not, it's not an issue because of the church being necessarily false or wrong or evil. It's an issue because of the way the church acts as an institution and because of policies that are man-made constructs that can be reconfigured. Um, so, an attack on those policies or an attack on the ways in which those policies protect predators is not necessarily an attack on the doctrines and and. Um, aspects of faith that people hold so dear. So uh, I hope that people hear that and, and recognize that in your work that they don't have to feel like their faith is being attacked, but uh, best of luck. And that across.
2: <laughs> I was just going to say along that line, um, I just want to give a shout out if they're listening at all, any of my friends who are active members that have been supportive of our project, that means the world. And we would love to hear from active members, um, your thoughts on the project and, um, we definitely want to make sure that everyone feels respected but also that we're not sugarcoating yeah. any of the facts
1: did we ever explain why mckenna has a leg in court like why she even has a leg to stand on did we ever explain like what i know we had said that like her that she had been raped by her missionary training oh, center president Did we ever explain how McKenna. she's able to sue the church or or because we had uh, no, yeah. Tell us, tell us more about that. Okay, sorry. Uh, <clears throat> sometimes we tell the story so much that we're just like, oh, we forgot that there's this big part we didn't talk about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically, McKenna, she. You can find this recording online, but she confronted her abuser, a man named Joseph Bishop who had raped her back in 1984 while he was the president of the missionary training center, a a place that trains those missionaries that come and knock on your door two by two. Um, He, she alleges that he raped her. Um, She went and she actually secretly recorded him back in December of last year of 2017. Um, She had posed as a reporter (coughs) And she went and interviewed him, pretending that she was trying to write a piece about uh, mission presidents and spiritual leaders and get their thoughts on things. <clears throat> about 45 minutes into the recording, she kind of reveals who she is. I'm McKenna and I'm this woman that you had raped while I, in 1984 while you were the president of the Missionary Training Center. In that recording, Joseph Bishop he does not explicitly admit to raping McKenna Denson. what he does admit to is is he admits that he had confessed sexual um, he had confessed sexual assault and misconduct to a general authority or a church leader in the church someone who was a member of the quorum of the 70 which is basically they're kind of right underneath the Mormon church's apostles. So they're pretty high up in leadership in the church. Um, He had confessed to a member of the 70 previous to him being the missionary training center president to the 70. And so the legal case that she has to stand on is the fact that he admitted in this audio recording that he had confessed to this church leader. Their case is that it proves the church knew that the Mormon church, or excuse me, that Joseph Bishop was a sexual predator when they put him in that position of being Mm. the president of the missionary training center. So she can't sue Joseph Bishop because of statute of limitations law in Utah, um, which has since changed, but it's not retroactive to her time. Um, But she can't sue him, but she can sue the church for allegedly knowingly putting a sexual right, predator where he could, uh, in that position of power. He could abuse other people. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah, that's a good clarification. I think you're right. I don't think we touched on the on the details of that um, previously, and I had missed it because I've heard the story. And, and yeah, we, we talk about these stories a lot, and you're, like, you're right. You just kind of brush past it. But that's right. important for our listeners to know the kind of details of that. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you guys wanted to add? I would love to, uh, you know, plug anything you want to plug. I mean, what's the best way? Let's start with there. With what's the best way to help the documentary project? Is people to go to your Kickstarter page or?
2: Yes, donate to our Kickstarter. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're looking to raise eighty five thousand. Um, that's to help fund travel, so we can interview more victims, so we can follow McKenna around. So we can rent equipment um, what else Spencer?
1: yeah I uh, are, you, are you like what else in regards to what will the money go towards?
2: Yeah l- lawyers we probably yeah. need a lawyer
1: yeah yeah absolutely. We know that uh, people don't like to be slandered or defamed in their opinion and so <clears throat> if we're if we're talking negatively about an organization or people sometimes or individuals as part of the story that we have to protect ourselves, and um, you have to buy insurance for a documentary once it's finished to protect the pe- the company that buys it to distribute it. They want protection, and so you have to pay for insurance. And there's just a whole myriad of of, of different things, and it, it, it movies are expensive.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so you, so the goal is eighty five, and you've already raised a substantial portion of that so far, right? It's been it's been online for about a week. Is that right?
1: Yeah, it's been online for about a week, we're at about 27% of our goal, which is cool. great. Um we could we're definitely hoping to do better just to make sure that we can hit that goal. And so, yeah, we we'd love all the support we can hit uh, or that we can get. Once once it's finished, there'll be a uh, a donate button on our website where people can donate via PayPal, but obviously with Kickstarter, we have to hit this goal or we don't get any of the money.
0: <laughs> right, right. All right. So yeah, we will include a link to that um, for readers to click on. Uh, You you can see that in the show notes on our website or wherever you're getting this podcast from. Uh, We'll include a link to your website as well as the Kickstarter page um, and any other um, articles or things that we've referenced here. Is there anything else you guys wanted to add or amend or plug uh, or let our listeners know that's important to this story?
2: I think we covered it. Thanks so much for having us on, Chris
0: absolutely yeah thank Thank you you so so much much. for uh, coming on it's been a pleasure talking to you
1: you as well thank you so much I really appreciate it
3: let's go in the garden you'll find something waiting right there where you left it lying upside
0: down on the other side was a production of the Open Stories Foundation between July 19th and October 25th of 2018
3: the underside is lighter when you turn it around everything stays right where you left it everything stays but it still changed
0: The intro and outro theme for this podcast is Everything Stays a Rebecca Sugar cover by Bly Valentine you can find more of Bly's music at B-L-Y-W-A-L-L-E-N-T-I-N-E ecom